Good morning and welcome to our service of worship here at First Church of New Knoxville on this Palm Sunday 2020. We're so glad that you have decided to join us and we are going to worship the Lord together this morning. Our prelude this morning is a new song. Uh, if you are uh, if you have a bulletin uh, from our website, uh, you can pull that up. The words are actually printed in the bulletin. But since this is a new song, I encourage you to follow along or simply just listen to the words. It's a reminder that our worth is not in what we own, but in who, uh, who Christ is and what he has done for us. The song is, My Worth is Not in What I Own. My worth is not in what I own, but in the strength of flesh and bone, but in the costly wounds of love at the cross. My worth is not in skill or name. Once again, we welcome you to worship here at First Church of New Knoxville. We're so glad that you're here with us this morning. A few announcements I want to uh, share with you before we get started uh, with the rest of our service. Uh, one is uh, just a reminder once again that you can connect with us here at First Church 
uh, in a variety of ways during this uh, stay-at-home order and our inability to gather physically here at our church for worship. Um, you can connect with us at our church office. You can give us a call, send us an email. Uh, our office staff is still working throughout the week and, and able to respond to messages and answer phone calls. So if there's anything you need, feel free to reach out to us there. Um, you can also connect with us through our church website, firstchurchnk.org, or our church Facebook page, which is also First Church NK. Uh, and we encourage you to stay connected. Um, just because we are separated physically, once again, uh, we can still stay connected uh, through those means. Uh, and I encourage you to stay connected with your, uh, with your community, with your church family as well. Uh, give each other a call. Uh, send each other a message. Um, do what you can to stay connected during this time, because that is such an important thing. I also want to remind you that this is Holy Week. Um, and again, we're used to doing a lot more this week as a church that we are not able to do. And so we still want to try to do what we can. So today, of course, is Palm Sunday. We're going to be talking about that a little bit more. Uh, we usually hold Maundy Thursday and Good Friday services uh, here at the church. Again, unfortunately, we're not able to have those in person, but we are planning on, uh, I'm going to record a message and post it to our Facebook page and our website uh, on those evenings, Thursday evening and Friday evening, so that we can still uh, turn our attention to the Lord during this important time of year. And then, of course, next Sunday is Easter, the day when we celebrate Jesus's resurrection. Uh, and, and as strange as it will be, to be completely honest, uh, being a part on that day when we're so used to gathering together, uh, we still will have our worship service 10:15 Sunday morning, just as we have been these last couple of weeks, and we will celebrate the Lord, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ together. Just because we are not able to be here together does not mean that Easter is canceled. The tomb is still empty. Jesus is still alive, and we can celebrate that together in spirit through uh, the radio and through Facebook Live. Uh, so I invite you to join us next week and Easter Sunday as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior together. Uh, I want to encourage you again, if you have a chance to get on our website, download the bulletin, you can follow along with our order of worship there. Words for the, the, the worship music is in there so you can sing along with us or just follow along with the words. Uh, but I encourage you to do that this morning. Get a chance to do that and follow along with us. One other announcement about next Sunday for Easter. Um, we are planning on having communion that day, just as we normally would on Easter Sunday. So if you recall a couple weeks ago, I encouraged you to uh, get a slice of bread or a cracker or some juice in order to take communion together with us. We will do that again next Sunday over the radio through Facebook Live so that we can uh, celebrate and, and uh, celebrate the resurrection and, and do that uh, do that act together. So next Sunday, um, as if you're planning on joining us for worship, I encourage you to have, have some bread, have some juice available so that we can share communion together. This time I want to invite Pastor Tori forward and for our call to worship this morning. Our scripture reading for this morning is, comes from Psalm 118, 22 through 29. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done this this very day. Let us rejoice and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. 
The Lord is God, and he made us his light. He made us his light shine on to shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Now, if you'll all join us in singing hymn number 97, I'll hail the power of Jesus' name. The words are printed in your bulletin. a great week. And just so you know, we did post the Sunday school lesson for today on Facebook. So make sure you have your mom or dad pull that up for you after the service today. Okay. So I brought a surprise for you. I brought my pet to church today and I'm sure you're all dying to see it. So I'll go ahead and take him out. It's a pet rock and it's pretty well behaved. And it, it, I know what you're all thinking. This, this pet's kind of boring, right? Uh, it really can't do much. My pet rock doesn't, um, doesn't fetch, doesn't roll over, doesn't have a whole lot of tricks. He's not very fun to cuddle up with, right? And he's kind of useless. He's pretty, it's really only good for a paperweight, kind of. Um, and he doesn't even make noise. 
So what if I were to tell you that there was one time in history when rocks almost made noise. They almost shouted and sang, and that was on Palm Sunday back when Jesus was alive. So Palm Sunday is the day that Jesus came into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, and people were shouting and praising Jesus, saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Well, the grumpy Pharisees didn't really like that everyone was praising Jesus. And so they told Jesus to tell them to be quiet. And Jesus said that he couldn't do that. He could not tell the crowd to be silent. Because even if the crowd remained silent, the rocks would start crying out praises to Jesus. Can you imagine what that might have been like for a rock like this to cry out and sing praises to Jesus? I think it would have been kind of cool to hear that happen, and I bet my pet rock here would have a pretty good voice. Um, But, you know, I would also be sad if the rocks sang praises louder than I could to Jesus, because we know that Jesus is worthy of all of our praise, right? We know what he did for us on the cross and what we're going to be celebrating this week of him dying and coming back to life and saving us all so that we could have a relationship with him. And so because of that and because of everything else that Jesus has done, he deserves all of our praises. So I don't know about you, but I would rather sing praises to Jesus than count on my rock to do it here. So let's pray. God, we thank you that the rocks don't need to cry out on our behalf. We praise you for filling our hearts with joy and causing us to sing and shout your praises. Lord, our joy in you is so great we can't keep it to ourselves. Help us to continually sing your praises. Lord, I ask that you would prepare our hearts for Easter. Help us to praise you daily and to thank you and to remember what you did for us on the cross so many years ago. We love you and we thank you for this time together. Amen. Amen. Before we go to the Lord in prayer this morning, I want to take an opportunity to, to just once again encourage you to to be praying for our community, to be praying for our nation, for our world. This is a very trying time, one that is very unfamiliar to to most of us, right? And this is not something. This is new territory for us to be to be going through together. And so, I want to encourage you to be to be continually lifting up our, our leaders, our nation, our, our hospitals, our doctors, nurses, and other health care providers, um, our churches, our schools. I mean, there's just so many people right now that are in need of prayer, especially those who are, who are battling this COVID-19 illness. Um, and so I want to encourage you to be lifting all those things up in prayer uh, together this morning. Um, if, if Jay were here this morning, this would be his opportunity to, to give an update and encourage you to be praying for, for our soldiers and their families and of those who have lost their lives recently in their service. We have not had a chance to do this for the last couple weeks. And so I want to take this opportunity to be encouraged, to encourage you to be praying for the families of those that, that died, uh, recently in our service to our country. Uh, there were five that were killed in action in Iraq, um, since the last time Jay was able to share. As well as, as well as 12 individuals who died in uh, serving our country in other places. And so uh, that's 17 total that have, that have lost their lives. And I want to encourage you to be praying for their families and the fam- families of all those who have lost loved ones recently. Um, 
so far to date, as of the as of last night, uh, due to this COVID-19 pandemic, there's been a total of 64,000 people worldwide who have lost their lives, as well as 8,000 right here in the United States. And so I want to encourage you to be praying for all those who are suffering, all those who are grieving at this time, um, and all those who continue to to fight and and and, uh, and push back against this disease. So let's take a moment um, and give to the or excuse me, go to the Lord together. Father, I thank you so much that you are a God who heals. You are a God who brings comfort. You are a God who strengthens us in our time of need. Uh, Lord, that doesn't mean that everything is going to go exactly as we hope or as we desire. But it means that no matter what we face, we know that you are there with us, that you are our rock. You are our, our good shepherd guiding us through the deepest, darkest valley. And that you are a God who, who hears and answers our prayers. And so this day we come to you, Lord, and ask for your blessing to be upon those, uh, Lord, who, who have lost loved ones recently, whether it's those that have died in, our, in service to our country or those who have lost their lives to this global pandemic, Lord. We ask for strength and comfort and a peace that passes all understanding, Lord, a peace that can come only from you. Lord, we also lift up our community, our nation, our world, Lord, all those that are whose lives have been turned upside down by this pandemic. We ask, Lord, for, for calm in the midst of a storm. We ask, Lord, for, for you to guide us through, especially our leaders, especially doctors and, and healthcare workers, Lord, on the front lines. We pray for wisdom that passes all understanding that could come only from you. And we ask, Lord, that you would see us through uh, this scenario. No matter how long it takes, Lord, whether we're looking at weeks or months, Lord, we don't know, but you do. And you can use all of this, Lord. You can, you can bring good out of, out of the worst situation. And so we entrust this to your care, asking that your will will be done and that you would use all of this for your glory and for our good. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. As we've been saying these last couple of weeks, this is, we're not going to have an opportunity to, to collect a physical offering here at the church, but we want to encourage you to continue to give online or drop off your gifts at uh, the church office sometime this week. Uh, the offering today does go to support the general fund here at the church. In addition to that, we talked last week about the virtual blue jug, an opportunity through text giving to support local ministries. This week and for the first half of April, anything that you text to give will go towards uh, Samaritan's Purse Coronavirus Disaster Aid Response. Uh, they are on the ground providing, providing aid and emergency relief in different areas of our country and world, and we want to support them in what they're doing. So you can text First Church NK and a dollar amount to 73256. Information about how to do that is on our, in our bulletin on our website. Um, I know Connie's been putting that on the live stream uh, comments, so if you're on Facebook, you can see it there. But any dollar amount you give to, through Thanksgiving will go to support that relief, uh, relief effort. Uh, looking at the second half of April, um, we are going to go the same text giving, same virtual blue jug will go to support Agape Ministries here in St. Mary's who are continuing to provide and support the local needs in our own community. So for the first half of April, it's the Samaritan's Purse Disaster Relief. Second half of April, the text giving will go to support Agape Ministries in St. Mary's. 
That being said, let's take a moment to worship the Lord together again. Let's sing of his majesty. It's number 74 in the blue hymnals. Uh, The words that once again are in your bulletin. Our scripture reading today comes from Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leaving her alone, said Jesus, Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. 
The more the poor you will always have with you, and you can help them any time you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, whenever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Let's pray together. Lord God, we ask now as we open your word together on this Palm Sunday that you would uh, help us and guide us, Lord, to the, to the parts of this passage, to the parts of your word together, Lord, that, uh, that you want us to see this morning. Lord, help us to see your goodness. Help us to see your beauty. Help us to see, Lord, that you truly are worthy of our worship, Lord, even in times like this. And so we ask that you would open the, uh, give me words to speak and open the, open the eyes of our heart, open the eyes of our mind, Lord, so that we may see you more clearly. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So obviously today we are, we're talking about Palm Sunday. We're talking about the day when, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem triumphantly to the, to the praise and, and shouts of, of a crowd of people. Now, the passage I just read is maybe not your typical uh, Palm Sunday passage. I share this with you today. We're looking at it today to give us a maybe a little different perspective than we are used to. Where the typical Palm Sunday passage usually describes, uh, and this is familiar to so many of you, Jesus riding into Jerusalem on this donkey, right? He sends his disciples ahead of him. Uh, Passover is, uh, is about to begin in a few short days. And, and he sends disciples ahead in order to get a donkey so that he may ride into Jerusalem. And as he does so, as they begin to enter the town, this crowd begins to form. This crowd of, of onlookers and people realizing the significance of what is happening begin to shout praises. They say things like, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, Hosanna, which means save us, right? Hosanna in the highest. And they begin to wave palm branches and lay their cloaks down on the road as an act of, of, of worship, as, as, a, as paying homage to, to Jesus as this coming king riding into Jerusalem, and it echoes passages in the Old Testament that talk about how, how the, this messianic king will come riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Jesus knew the kind of statement that he was making on that day. The interesting thing about Palm Sunday and about Holy Week is how much of the Gospels really devote their time uh, and space to that last seven days of Jesus' life. For those of you who have been reading through the Mark reading plan that we started at the beginning of Lent before all of this began to happen, uh, you will know that the story of Palm Sunday, the story of the triumphal entry, actually be, is told in Mark chapter 11, uh, which means that, that we would have read that a few weeks ago. right? And, and we are now in, in Mark chapter 14 looking at uh, the story of Jesus being anointed by this woman. In fact, Holy Week, the stories, the, the tale of the last week of Jesus' life comprises about one-third of all of the Gospels. In Mark, I've already pointed out, it is told in, in Mark chapter 11 out of a total of 16 chapters. In Matthew, the triumphal entry happens in chapter 21 out of 28. In Luke, it's in chapter 19 out of 24. In John, perhaps 
the most extreme. It happens in John chapter 11 out of 21. Almost 50% of John's gospel is dedicated to the last week of Jesus's life. And so that for this Palm Sunday, for this Holy Week, I thought it was important to not, not just focus on the triumphal entry again, although we will talk about it, and you heard Pastor Tori talk about it during the children's chat, but to focus on an event that happens here between Palm Sunday and Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter, this story of the woman anointing Jesus while he was having dinner with a group of people. Now, this all was a, it tells us here in, in chapter 14, verse 1, that this was all taking place just a few days from the start of Passover. Now, it's important to recognize that and what Passover is all about, right? Passover was the time when, when God's people remembered how God saved them out of slavery in Egypt, that God had sent the plagues on Egypt, but he had protected his people. All they had to do was, was slaughter a lamb and, and put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of their homes. And God's people would be protected from the last and, and most horrific plague, which is the death of the firstborn. In other words, it was the blood of the lamb that protected God's people from certain death. And so, and so every year at this time, God's people would, would gather in Jerusalem to celebrate that and to remember it with a festival. And, and, and Jerusalem would just be packed. Right? Normally there'd be about 50,000 or so people in Jerusalem. It was a pretty good sized city for that day and for today, by today's standards as well. But, but during the Passover week, that population would swell some five times over. There'd be an estimate of anywhere between 250 and 300,000 people all there in Jerusalem to celebrate this Passover, which is why you see in the gospel so much happened during that time, because there was so much opportunity for Jesus to not only preach, but also there was a lot of tension in the air between Jesus and and his ministry and the religious leaders of the day. You see that again in chapter 14, verses 1 and 2, this, this plot, they're beginning to actively pursue an opportunity to arrest and ultimately kill Jesus. And that's the irony of this whole story here on Palm Sunday, isn't it? That, that one day Jesus enters Jerusalem to the praise and worship of, of a crowd of people. And within a few days, there's another group that is actively trying to kill him without causing a riot, of course. You know, you, we usually use Palm Sunday as an illustration for a graduating confirmation class. This uh, and any other year would be Confirmation Sunday, and we'd be hearing about the, the testimonies of, of our kids that had gone through confirmation. And, and it just so happened to work out this year that we didn't actually have an eighth grade class to graduate. It's not because of the pandemic. It's not because of COVID-19. It's, it's we simply just didn't have a group this year. Um, and so, so today we get an opportunity to do things a little different for Palm Sunday. Um, and one of the things I, I usually stress on that day is the, the importance of, of intentionally choosing to follow and worship Christ. And that is a message that is still important today, maybe all the more so. Worship is an intentional choice that we have to make in the good times and in the bad. Right, join, we can, we can join with the crowd singing praises on Palm Sunday. Right, that's easy and convenient to do, right? You just go along with the crowd and you, you just join in. But what about the times when all of that is taken away? What about when the crowd disperses and all that's left are for those, are those who seek to kill Jesus? You know, the question I pose typically to the confirmation class and the question I want to pose to us today is, will we still worship him then? Is God still worthy of our worship, even in the hard times? Right? And that itself is a lesson for us today. 
this crowd has dispersed, right? We are, I am once again preaching to an almost empty sanctuary here at First Church besides the, the few that are gathered here, thankfully, to help us in, in our worship this morning. And, and it's not because of persecution, of course, right? Not because people seek us out, thank God. There are many Christians in the world for whom that is an all too familiar reality. No, this Palm Sunday, we're forced apart because of the COVID-19 pandemic. We don't meet together out of a desire to love and care for the most vulnerable among us. It's no longer easy or convenient to praise God, but we can still choose to worship him. We can still choose to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest, because he is still worthy of our worship and he always will be. And so that's the scene we have before us today. This is that time between Palm Sunday and Good Friday that, where that tension is building and building and building between Jesus and the religious establishment of the day. And what we see here is a scene of Jesus reclining for a meal at the home of a man named Simon the leper. Not an unfamiliar scene for Jesus. Throughout the Gospels, we often see him sharing a meal with, with religious leaders and, and so-called sinners alike. You know, uh, and, and so dinner was often an opportunity for Jesus to spend time and to, to not only teach, but to demonstrate love to, uh, to those that he's gathered with. Think again of, of what we'll be celebrating here in a few days, the Last Supper. It was a meal that he shared with his closest friends, his disciples, uh, and used that as an opportunity to teach and point people ultimately to the cross. And so we see this once again, Jesus gathering for a meal, and, and this woman comes in, and, and, and I'm presuming in the middle of the meal, interrupting what's going on, she comes forward and without saying a word, anoints Jesus with this expensive perfume. Now, this woman is not identified in Mark's gospel, but we, we know, in, in, as well as in Matthew's gospel, but we know from John's gospel that this woman is identified as Mary, the brother of, or excuse me, the sister of Lazarus and Martha, the one who Jesus raised from the dead. But here, Mark does not identify her because in the long run, her identity isn't the main point of the story. That's not the purpose of retelling this. What's important is her is not her identity, but her actions. That's what the focal point is here. And what it is, what she's doing here is really an act of worship. She's taking this expensive jar of perfume, breaking it and anointing Jesus's head with it. And, and, and again, to our modern ears, this is a very strange kind of interaction, right? Why would she come in and, and pour perfume uh, and anoint Jesus in this way? Well, anointing has a very significant uh, there's a lot of, it's very significant in the biblical context, right? People were anointed all the time. In fact, uh, the term Christ or Messiah, Messiah being the Hebrew term, Christ being the Greek equivalent, uh, is, is, simply means the anointed one. There were a lot of anointed people in, in Israel's history, right? Kings, priests, even prophets were anointed with oil as a, as a way to set them apart for, for special work, for God's purposes in the world. But Old Testament began to talk not just of anointed ones, but the anointed one, the one who would come and rescue God's people, the one who would come and free them from the bondage of, of slavery, not just physical slavery, not just occupation from Rome, but, but free God's people from sin itself. And so that person became known as the Messiah, the anointed one. And here we see God, uh, this woman anointing Jesus 
in this way. Sometimes it, this is how it would even happen in the Old Testament. When king, I mentioned kings and priests were often anointed as a way to consecrate them and set them apart for work. And sometimes that was even done kind of in secret and hiding. You know, the very, very famous story of, of the prophet Samuel anointing David as king of, as Israel was all done in the privacy of, of David's boyhood home, right? He was out in the fields shepherding flocks and, and, and was brought in. And in that moment, God said, this is the one whom I have chosen. And, and he instructs Samuel to anoint him then and there as king of Israel. And so here we get kind of a, a similar, not, not apples to apples comparison, but a similar situation where this woman is anointing Jesus. And it's not the religious leaders, it's not even the disciples who make this connection, but an unidentified woman anointing Jesus, in a sense, recognizing him as king. The very crime that he would be accused of in a few short days and executed for being the king of the Jews. That's what was posted on the cross. Now it says here that this woman came and, and, and had an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. This, this is just, uh, uh, very, these details point to us just how much this sacrifice, how much this gift was truly worth. An alabaster was a precious material that was often used to store and contain expensive perfumes. It was very good at maintaining the quality of the perfume over a long period of time. There's even record of, of jars like this being passed on from generation to generation to generation within families and, and, and the quality or the value of the perfume not, not being lost. And these alabaster jars typically had a, had a container and then a long, thin neck that came, um, that came from the body of the jar, but there was no opening. There was no way to open it and then reseal the jar again. Once it was intended for use, they would actually have to break that neck off the jar and then pour the perfume out. Once it was open, once that alabaster was broken, there was no putting it back together. So she came to Jesus, broke this, this precious gift, this precious, uh, per, this precious jar containing the expensive perfume and used it to anoint Jesus' head. A little side note here I want to remind us of and that is that our brokenness often points us or leads us to God. Just as that jar needed to be broken in order for us to be, to, to, uh, excuse me, in order for the perfume to be given to God, to, to be used to anoint Jesus, so too we sometimes need to experience brokenness in order to truly respond to what God is doing in our lives. It's not that God wants us to experience brokenness. It's not that God wants us to go through pain or hardship or, or some other sort of difficulty but it's that he can use those opportunities to draw us to himself. Think of what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 6 through 10. This is Paul talking about a struggle he had, and he calls it a thorn in his flesh, a messenger from Satan that was sent to torment him. Now, he doesn't go into detail. That might have been a, a physical ailment. It might have been some uh, 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 ministry problem or some sort of spiritual issue that he was struggling with. He doesn't really clarify. But the, but the bottom line is that there was some struggle he was experiencing. And this was his response to it. Again, it's the beginning of verse 6. He says, um, or excuse me, beginning of verse 7. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, 
Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, Paul recognized that it was in his brokenness that God was truly able to work. It was, it was in his brokenness that God's, that God's power, his grace, his mercy, his love was able to, to shine through like, like cracks in a jar. And so he says, I will, I will delight in weaknesses and insults and all these awful things that are happening to him because he recognizes that in his weakness, in his brokenness, he's able to fully more fully, more completely rely on Christ and experience his grace, experience his power, not when we're self-sufficient, but when we realize finally that we are not. And so just as this woman had to break the alabaster jar to offer this act of worship to God, sometimes we need to uh, recognize and, and, and acknowledge our own weaknesses, our own brokenness, and, and ask God to work in and through that in order for his grace and his power to be shown. And so she takes this jar, she breaks it and pours the perfume on his head. And, and the disciples here notice that, uh, or point out just how much this gift was actually worth. And in most modern translations like the NIV that I just read from, it kind of sums it up for us. It says uh, more than a year's wages. It actually says that it was worth 300 denarii. And a denarius was a, was a, a day's was the equivalent about of, of a day laborer's wage. So one day of work was one denarii. And so we can, if you want to get an idea of how much that really is worth, we can take that and equate it to, to minimum wage in today's culture, right? In Ohio, currently, the minimum hourly wage is $8.55 an hour. If you take a 40-hour work week for the entire year, that equates to just under $18,000. And so this is, he's saying here that this perfume is worth more than that, more, more than $18,000 taken and poured out on Jesus' head as an act of worship and gift. And these disciples are, are mad about it, right? The people that are gathering are indignant, it says. Uh, and, and again, in John's Gospel, looking comparing the stories, we see that it's actually Judas Iscariot is the one to speak up. And they're upset about, about what they view as a waste of resources. That's why they, they lash out. That's why they begin to put her down before Jesus steps in. They claim that she wasted it. It literally says they dis, they, she destroyed the value of the perfume. All of that money, $18,000, right, could have been used to feed the poor. Earlier in Mark's gospel, during the story of the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples say that it would have taken about 200 denarii in order to feed that large crowd. So this amount, of this, the, the value of this perfume was even more than what was needed to feed a crowd of 5,000 people. That's a lot of mouths you can feed with that kind of money. I want to take a moment here again and pause and, and, and remind us of what this passage is not about. Jesus' response here to their, to their anger, to their, to their rebuke of this woman is to leave her alone. He says, why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing for me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want. There's people that have taken this passage and used it as an excuse to do nothing, 
to do nothing to help those who are in need, to, uh, to kind of throw your arms up in resignation and say, well, the poor will always be there, so there's nothing we can really do about it, so let's just go on with life as usual. Is that what Jesus is really saying here? Does Jesus say that it's not worth our time or worth our effort to help those who are in need? Of course not. Jesus here is actually pointing us to a passage from Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 11. Again, it's Deuteronomy 15, 11. And it's almost a direct quote. There Moses tells the people, he says, there will always be poor people in the land. Right? Very similar. The poor will always be among you. But then Moses goes on to say, therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. So Jesus here is pointing to this, this command from Deuteronomy that, that the acknowledgement that poor, the poor people will always be there isn't a, a, a sign of resignation. It's a command to then, therefore, let's do something about it. Let's help those who are in need. If they're always going to be there, then we have every opportunity, not just on, on holidays when, when the focus is giving to the poor like it was associated with, with Passover, but all day, every day, we have an opportunity to help those who are less fortunate than us. You know, it's not reserved, meant to be just for certain days of the year, special occasions. It should be something that we strive to do all the time. It's not a choice between worshiping Jesus and helping the poor, right? It's not some sort of uh, 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 dichotomy there where you have to have one or the other. No, Jesus here is saying that we can help the poor and worship Christ. It's not either or, right? It's both and. In fact, one of the ways to worship God, I believe we see throughout Scripture, one of the ways that we can demonstrate his love and compassion in the world is to help those who are in need. You know, think about our current situation. Right? One way for us to honor God during this time, during this time of, uh, of global pandemic, is to look after, to protect and care for those around us. You know, some churches are, are continuing to worship in person. Throughout this country, there's churches that even now are gathering in person to worship. Now, that is certainly our First Amendment right. It is, uh, we have the freedom to assemble. We have the freedom to, to worship God as we see fit. And there's a lot of pastors and a lot of churches that are using that as an excuse to continue to gather to worship. But just because we have the right to do something doesn't mean that we should do it. Right now, the loving thing for us to do, the way that we can love God and our neighbor is by doing our best to follow the CDC guidelines as best as we can. That goes for us as a church. That goes for businesses, of course. And it goes for us on an individual level, doing everything we can to protect ourselves and our community and to protect those in need. This passage here back in Mark 14 also reminds us that our worship is not wasted. That's what they accuse her of doing, of wasting this valuable resource in this act of worship. But our worship is not wasted. There's an interesting contrast between the story of the widow and her offering in Mark 12 and what we see here in Mark chapter 14. Remember the story of the widow. This, these Pharisees would often, uh, people with money would often give in a way that other people would notice. And so one day Jesus and his disciples are in the temple courts and they're watching this all happen. And, and this one widow comes up and gives just a few pennies into the offering. And Jesus says she gave more than all the others that day because she gave out of her lack while others gave out of their abundance. And here we see this woman being ridiculed for, for wasting, quote, so much stuff. Right? Both the woman... Uh, here in the story, as well as the widow and her offering, were ridiculed for their gift. 
Right? One was, is that all you got? Is that all you have to give? While the other was ridiculed for waste, right? Why, why go to this extravagant effort? Why waste such things on worship? But both gave everything they had and held nothing back. And Jesus recognized the value of both gifts. The widow gave pennies. The woman poured out extremely valuable perfume. And both were, were acknowledged and, and accepted by Jesus for what they did. You know, it's not about how much we're able to give. It's not about how much we're able to do for God. It's about our heart being in the right place. I think again of the, the song we sang uh, this morning for our prelude, this new one, My Worth is Not in What I Own. And it's such a good reminder that it's not about our perceived value that, that, uh, that is important to God, but it's about finding our value, finding our meaning, and finding the purpose in the cross of Christ. My worth is not in what I own, not in the strength of flesh and bone, but in the costly wounds of love at the cross. Right, and then the last, last verse, I love this one. Two wonders here that I confess, my worth and my unworthiness. My value fixed, my ransom paid at the cross. Right, that's the message of the gospel. It's not about how, what, how much we can do for God. It's not about the size of our gift or, or the, the value of our worship, but it's about who we are worshiping. It's about our attention, our focus being on Christ and the cross. But worship will cost us something, won't it? It's not necessarily about the monetary value. We may, uh, we may, we may uh, lose respect in the eyes of our family or friends or coworkers. Uh, we, our, our, our ability or our decision to worship may cost us the, the safety of ourselves and families if we happen to live in a part of the world where Christians are persecuted, right? But worship, it may be small, it may be big, it may be something that we can measure with dollar amounts or it may be something inherently um, invaluable. But worship will cost us something because worship itself is a sacrifice of ourselves, giving ourselves to God. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is true and proper worship. It's about giving of ourselves. It's about, it's about pouring ourselves out at, uh, at the foot of the cross. And when we do that, our worship is never wasted. Right? He is worthy of our worship no matter what shape, size, or form it comes in. As long as we're giving our all to him, it will be acceptable. And I do believe our worship then has an impact on other people, both positive and potentially negative. Right? Jesus says in, in the NIV, it says, what she's done for me is a beautiful thing. But again, if you, if you look at a more wooden translation, it actually says it's a good work. It's the same term that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, when he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds, your good work, and glorify your Father in heaven. I do believe worship has the way of, of inspiring others to do the same, right? When we worship God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, it, it inspires others to, to follow suit because they see, they, they, they see that God is worthy of our worship when we choose to worship Him. And no, there's no greater example of that than the story we're looking at today. And Jesus points it out Himself. He says that, that as long as the gospel is being told, they will talk about this woman, right? And here we are, 2,000 years later, talking about her and her act of worship here. But worship can have a negative impact as well. 
It can cause people to ridicule you. It can cause people, it may cost you something, whether that's, again, reputation or, or, or something else that can be measured in value. Uh, for, for Jesus here, this worship, this, uh, him being elevated in this way, uh, meant that, that people were seeking to kill him, seeking his own life. The disciples themselves were scattered. Peter denies Jesus out of fear. Right there, that there were people who, who accused Jesus of, of um, blasphemy and, and accused him of doing wrong. And, and those that worshiped him were then kind of lumped in that same group, right? There was negative consequences for them to continue to worship. And that is also true throughout the book of Acts. Paul, Peter, John, others were, were persecuted. James, the half-brother of Jesus himself, all suffered persecution because of the name of Jesus. So our worship can have a positive impact, but it can also have a negative impact. You see, at the, bo- the bottom line of all of this is that we were made to worship. We were made to worship. And, that, and we were made, of course, to worship God, but, but unfortunately we sometimes substitute other things in God's place. But no matter who we are, we can't say that we don't worship something because I believe all of us worship something whether we acknowledge it or not. And so what do some people worship instead of God? Well, some people worship money. We see it right here in this very passage. Uh, from Judas and the others, right? That they were so concerned about the bottom line that they missed an opportunity to worship Jesus as King and Lord. All right, Matthew 6, 24, Jesus reminds us that no one can serve two masters. Either you hate the one and love the other, or you're to be voted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. All right, worship is exclusive by its very nature, right? We're gonna, there is only one thing that can sit on the throne of our heart or mind then it's either going to be God or something else. And for some people, money is that thing. The bottom line is what really matters. For others, it's, it's status. We're more concerned about what people think of us than what God thinks. Right? Think again of the ridicule that is heaped on this woman for her act. But Jesus says, If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory and with the holy angels. For some, we, we, some people worship political power. Think of the, the power that the Roman Empire exerted in that day. They called it the Pax Romana, the peace, the Roman peace. And of course, it was peace that was achieved by destroying anyone and anything that stood in their way. They exerted their power and control over others, right? And there's some people that worship, right, that sort of power, that sort of control, and there's others that worship the status quo. And that is epitomized by the, the um, religious leaders in this passage. Right? They wanted Jesus gone. They wanted to get rid of him because he was upsetting the balance of power. He was upsetting the status quo. In fact, in John chapter 11, verses 49 through 50, 53, we get a glimpse, ironically, into their mindset. It says one of them, named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it's better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only that, for the, not only for the nation, but also for those scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day forward, they plotted to take his life. See, he... Ironically, he, he made a pretty powerful statement there, right? It is better for one person to die than for a whole nation to perish. 
Right? They wanted to get rid of Jesus to preserve the status quo, but what they didn't realize what it was, is that it was through his death, through his sacrifice on the cross, that he actually accomplished that. That he is worthy of our worship, not because he is a political king, not because he has money or power or status, but purely because he willingly laid down his life. Jesus acknowledges here, that this woman's anointing was done in preparation for his burial. Jesus connects this woman's worship to his death. Expensive perfumes were often used in burials. In fact, it's the same word for perfume that's used in Luke 23:56 when it talks about the woman uh, preparing, uh, going to prepare Jesus' body for burial. It's this kind of perfume that they are using uh, in that case. And so this Worship, this act of worship is then connected to what is about to happen, of course. Jesus' death and ultimately his resurrection. Right? Jesus is not worthy of our worship in spite of his death, right? but because of it. On Palm Sunday, Jesus doesn't come riding in as a conquering king. He comes riding in on a donkey, which is how servants would often move around. Instead of a royal crown that's placed on his head, he received a crown of thorns. Instead of being lifted up in celebration, he was lifted up on the cross. And instead of being installed as king, he was executed as a criminal. He is worthy of our worship precisely because of that reality. In Mark 10:45, Jesus himself says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. On Palm Sunday, we often uh, often think about uh, Jesus coming as a conquering king, right? He comes as, as the one worthy of our worship and praise. I'm going to close our time in God's word together by reading from Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 through 14. This is a scene from, from the very throne room of God of worship that is taking place. And notice here in this passage why Jesus is being worshipped. It's Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 through 14. He says, They sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them into a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousands times ten thousand. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and praise and glory. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and all the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. He is certainly worthy of our praise. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you sent your son, that he is worthy of our worship, Lord, because he laid down his life for us to demonstrate your great love. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and in closing, sing how deep the Father's love for us. The words again are in your bulletin.
again, thank you for joining us for worship here on this Palm Sunday. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.